HT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I am so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Our topic, stop and frisk. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, on Google+, and Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. And stay up to date with the latest Street Soldiers shows and also my Fox 5 news stories by logging on to my website, LisaEvers.com. This week, a federal judge declared that the NYPD's use of stop, question, and frisk is unconstitutional. Judge Shira Shiland found that the NYPD had shown deliberate indifference to stop, question, and frisks when it comes to young black and Hispanic males. She also appointed a federal monitor to oversee reforms in the police department. Now, many say that change, these kind of changes, are badly needed, but others are saying that doing away with stop, question, and frisk will increase crime. What do you think? Give us a call, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Were you stopped and frisked by the NYPD for no reason? Or are you one of the police officers out there on the job who wants to tell us how you feel about this? Some officers have told us in the past that they don't like to do this because they feel that it's just making uh, things bad with the community, creating a lot of animosity. Other officers say it does need to be used, but not as not in the wrong way. Give us a call and let us know what you think right now. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Kristen's opening up the phone lines for your calls at one 800 223 97 97 were you stopped and frisked for no reason are you a cop who does stop and frisk and thinks it's a good tool or do you not like it give us a call right now 1-800-223-9797 we've got a great panel to break it all down for us joining us is charles f coleman jr he is a federal civil rights attorney former prosecutor with the brooklyn da's office and a legal analyst charles thanks for being with us hey lisa good morning good morning we appreciate it also with us is professor william cannon he's a professor of criminal justice at Monroe College. He is a former NYPD detective and sergeant with Manhattan North Homicide. Professor Cannon, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. Glad to be here. Good morning. Glad to have you. Also with us is Noel Leader, a former NYPD sergeant. You know him as a co-founder of 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement Who Care. Noel, thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Charles, I want to start with you. What is the judge saying here? Because people have been talking about this as a bombshell development. Sure. Uh, this is a pretty big development in the terms of uh, stop and frisk in here in New York City. Basically, after looking at the anecdotal, anecdotal evidence, which was provided by both the, prosec- uh, the plaintiff as well as the defendant, uh, the defendant being the city of New York in this case, uh, as well as the statistical analysis that each side provided, what the judge found was more or less five key points. The first one was that the PD, New York Police Department carried out more stops in areas where there were greater numbers of blacks and Latino residents. That's the first one. The next one was that black and Latino males were more likely to be stopped than members of other races. Uh, and when they were stopped, the police were 30 percent more likely to make an arrest when there was something wrong, as opposed to issuing a summons when they could. 30 percent more likely for blacks and Latinos than they were for members of other races. The fourth thing that uh, she found as part of her decision was that during the stops, blacks and Latinos were more likely to be uh subjected to the use of force by the police than other the members of other races. And finally, what the, her last finding was that blacks were less likely to have uh, further law enforcement action take place after the stop than other members of other races. And what that suggests is that 
they were often stopped for no reason or for having done nothing wrong. And ultimately, those stops yielding no sort of uh, further law enforcement Arrest or anything like that. Professor William Cannon, you were a police officer, detective, sergeant, dealt with murders. Police Commissioner Kelly said stop and frisk demographically in terms of the ethnicity and race of the people. Stop and frisk primarily young black and Latino men reflects the people who are creating crime and also the people who are predominantly the victims of crime. What do you think about that? Well, if you look at the um, John Jay College report, um, the top five precincts uh, where most of the stops occurred was the uh, 2-3, the 7-3, 7-5, and the 103, which basically those, are, those neighborhoods are people of color. And all five of those neighborhoods are very high-crime neighborhoods. Over the six-year period of this study, it showed that um, these precincts came up time and time again having the most stops so is that skewing the numbers or they are they stopping the right people that's part of the question noel leader what do you think about this as a crime fighting technique because there was some controversy i mean the mayor is outraged they're appealing the decision um by the judge and they're saying that this is the way we're keeping crime down to historic lows here in New York City. Right. Well, uh, first of all, our organizations feel vindicated over the last 15 years. We've been one of the loudest critics of illegal stop, question, and frisk practices. Not stop, question, and frisk. Illegal stop, question, and frisk. And you talk about the anger of the mayor. You know, um, John Liu uh, stated that New York City over the last 10 years paid over a billion dollars in fines and settlements. Here you have the city council creating a inspector general because of the problem of stop questioning frisk. And now the federal court judge has basically condemned the uh, Bloomberg and Kelly administration for conducting illegal stop questioning frisk. After all of this anger, the mayor and the police commission, not only two who are in denial as it relates to the uh, the violation of racial profiling and constitutional rights. So stop questioning frisk is a good strategy when done legally, when done correctly. But what the judge has stated uh, 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 you know, the uh, uh, the attorney, uh, former prosecutor mentioned some of the things the judge stated, but the most profound thing she stated is that these stops at the New York City Police Department are conducting are illegal. It's racial profiling, has nothing to do with criminal investigations. These are just arbitrary stops that police officers are making of black and Latino uh, youth. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to, is it Jamie or Jaime from New Jersey? Jamie. Jamie, and you're a police officer? Yes, ma'am. I really don't think it's a good idea. I've been a cop for five years, and when I first got the job, uh, there was no search. There was none of that, and I honestly, it leads to further uh, trouble. When you first stop a civilian, um, the best thing is to be nice and uh, be yourself and, and be cool about it, but it leads to further confrontation. Uh, you can't just ask somebody... You know, you know, do you have any weapons, like, anything like that? Let me frisk you. It, it's not a good idea. It doesn't work on the street, and I don't think it's a great idea at all. All right, Jamie, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. The judge also said, in, I think, something about furtive movement. She said that this was the reason that was given for police officers stopping people, stopping young men primarily on the streets, and that furtive movement is not a good enough excuse. What does that mean? I think, well, one of the things, and I have to go back to, to what Noel said, about the policy itself the judge made very clear as part of her decision that the policy is facially neutral and what that means is that on its face there's nothing discriminatory about stop question and frisk 
the issue was how it was implemented and how it was monitored and how people who were found to be in violation of of folks' constitutional rights were disciplined. And so that's where the policy starts to go left. Now, when you talk about how it's monitored, when you when you look at the, I believe it's US, UF-250, Correct. when you look at the UF-250 form. And, and what are those? Those are the forms that, that officers are supposed to fill out when they have conducted a stop and, and frisk in New York City. Um, there's no real area to explain what it was that led to the stop. And so a lot of times what happens is, as a former prosecutor, you'll have officers who will come to you and they sort of just use police jargon like furtive movement or I saw a bulge or things that are very uh, nondescript and very generalized as a means of trying to make every stop fit the legal ramific- uh, the legal constraints of what it needs to in order to pass constitutional muster. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases they didn't. And so things like furtive movement kind of sort of just become you know, jargon that is thrown out so that anyone can sort of make it fit and make it pass constitutional muster when it doesn't. Professor William Cannon, you were on the streets with anti-crime. You were there knowing what this definition of furtive movement is. Is that a legitimate type yeah, of uh, abs- it absolutely description? Is. Let me just give you a, a, a little... Like, what is that? Okay. Well, let me give you a little history. If you're a good anti-crime cop, the first thing you do before you go out on the street that night is to go through all the crime reports and see what's going on in your precinct. See who the players are. See who's committing the robberies. See who's committing the shootings. Use that, as they say, an educated consumer. An educated cop is the best cop. He goes out there with that in his mind. These are the people, someone did a shooting on the day tour. Someone did a shooting on the midnight with that type of description. Now, if we get to, to the law, there's four levels of, of a stop, right? And the first one is a request for information. The police department always encourages interaction between the police and the community. So level one is just a request for information. Might someone object to that on the street? Absolutely. The second level is just to go up to someone and ask for identification, which is part of the common law right of inquiry. All right. That's also, that's a stop, right? Right. The third level is a stop based on reasonable suspicion, which I'd like to correct you. It's not stop and frisk. It's stop, question, and frisk, which is a totally different thing. At that level, the police are allowed to frisk. They're allowed to search for a weapon. The number one thing you're concerned with every day going to work is that you go home the same way you came to work. All right? So furtive movement, absolutely. You talk to any, any cop on the street, and they're concerned with their safety at all times. And the fourth level, of course, is probable cause, which is the arrest phase. Meaning that if somebody, there was a crime that was actually committed... You're, you believe this person could be the suspect? Well, no, that, that's you. Yeah, probable cause is when someone's having handcuffs put on them and they're getting arrested. No, and, I wouldn't think about that. And I just like to say that you were right. It is uh, when it's done correctly, a stop, perhaps questioning, frisk. But what's happening on the street? People being stopped, they're being frisked. So it's, it's very little questioning. Um, see, because what's happening is that the criticism is not on the legal stops questioning or and frisking because the, isn't it isn't that a, a legitimate police yes, that's tactic a legitimate that cops have used tactic. forever right cops all over the world uh, that, any police officer use have you done that it's definitely many a times it's 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 you know, something but, that, hold on, let, it's let a basic my technique my point is the criticism is not on the legal uh stop questioning frisk the judge didn't criticize the legal stops questioning the frisk is going on but we're talking about the illegal and what the police commissioner attempts to do and the mayor attempts to do is mix the two 
He'll say that stop, question, and frisk is a good crime-fighting strategy. It is, when done correctly and legally. When you're stopping innocent people, it's not a crime-fighting strategy. So he attempts, and, and Bloomberg Bloomberg attempts to skew the issue by to, by mixing the illegal stop, question, and frisk when it's done correctly, when you're investigating a potential criminal activity, and the illegal when officers just arbitrarily rolling up on people and stopping them because they're black and Latino. All right, let's go to Gabe from the South Bronx. Gabe, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how you doing? I've been a police officer in the South Bronx for about eight years, and I think the stop, question, frisk is a great tool. Um, it helps us get a ton of guns off the street, drugs off the street when warranted. Um, I, I just think it's a great tool. Have you ever uh, have you ever had a problem with it? I mean, have you uh, ever well, had people a get been mad given all the time we, we, about we, us uh, stopping them when they don't feel that they should be stopped? The thing is, we're stopping drug dealers, murderers, people that just committed robberies, and we're just we're not getting any respect because people don't like to be stopped. But, but the statistics. You know, the statistically, they're right. not stopping. Statistically, drug dealers and and bad guys. Statistically, ninety over ninety percent, they're stopping innocent individuals. Right. Uh, this, what what the problem with what has just been said by the caller is that it sort of ignores the fact that there are students and people who are going to work and people who are coming from work and people who have have done nothing wrong other than exist in the color of their skin who are being stopped. And well, it's not just the color of the skin, though. That's the issue. Where if let's say. I come up to a situation where somebody got robbed. The typical description I get is uh, male, black, white t-shirt, blue jeans. Now, 90% of the people walking around, regardless of the time of day or day of the week, are going to fit that general description. I need a little bit more to that, which sometimes people don't want to give. So we'll put somebody uh, in the car with us. We'll drive around. If we stop five people that fit that description, four of them turn out not to be the person that committed the crime, well, yeah, we only have a 20% success rate in the 250 report. However, we still got the person who committed the crime. Yeah, but officer, um, what, what they found out when they reviewed the paperwork, and as you, as I know, over 20 years uh, on the job, is that when you look at the UF 250 forms, the overwhelming majority of time, and this is what uh, state, New York State Attorney General uh, Robert Abrams and Spitzer found out, there's no criminal complaint. So the officers aren't investigating a criminal crime. These are arbitrary stops that they make. And once again, don't skew the good ones with the bad ones. If you look at the, if you examine the reports, what the judge did and everyone who evaluates stop questioning for practice, they aren't investigating criminal uh, activity. Professor Cannon, what do you think to uh, think about that? If, if the department erred in any area, it was um, making it numbers driven and uh, maybe connected to comps that were. The question uh, always the arose, quota word, the key uh, word. Well, are we are we stopping the right people? You know, um, what are the results of our stops? Um, and that that becomes the big question. But I don't think you can take this tool away from police officers. First of all, it's a safety issue, and whenever we talk about safety, they're going to err on the side of keeping the officers safe. If you're going to say we're just arbitrarily stopping, I don't believe that's the case. That we're arbitrarily stopping people uh, because of race. As I uh, talked about before, there's five precincts that are all precincts that we would consider precincts of color where the most stops have occurred. Three were in Brooklyn, one in Manhattan, one in Queens. So that's going to drive the numbers up high. But ha- has there been some numbers-driven UF-250 stop, question, and frisk? I think uh, there'd be some naivete if you didn't think that was the case. Gabe, were you ever uh, given a quota, anything like a quota? I've never been given a quota. There have been bosses that say, oh, well, you can try to, but we all know the quotas are illegal. 
They can't tell us, go out and write this many summonses or stop this many people, because as police officers, we're going to straight up say no. And we have. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for calling in. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. guys. Have a good day. All right. You too. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We're talking about stop and frisk. Have you been stopped and frisked, stopped, questioned and frisked? Give us a call right now, 1-800-223-9797. Let us know what you, th- what you think about that. Now, what about the, the, let's get back to this numbers thing, because the, this seems to be where the big, uh, contention is. It's productivity. Police experts will say, you know, we have to measure the productivity of the officers. Even though crime is going down, there have to be other measurements. Professor, what about that? Well, one of the uh, mentalities is is that um, the more people you stop, if you're going to stop someone on a street corner, say that who's out there uh, selling drugs, right? And pretty much anyone knows that's been a police officer, you know there's a gun on that drug spot somewhere under a car. It's, it's, it's around, right? So if you make it uncomfortable for them to be out there by stopping them uh, because they're, they're, they're committing a crime, uh, they, they're not going to carry that gun on them. And believe it or not, there's a difference between carrying the gun on you and having it hidden away somewhere. Carrying it on you may uh, drive you more to shoot somebody because it's right on you. A bump into a, a stare, a disrespect can turn into a shooting. So the police department wants to make it uncomfortable, obviously, for people to carry guns around. In the 1990s, the early 90s, children were getting shot in their beds because drug dealers were out on the street exchanging gunfire. And we can go back to the days of 2,200 murders like in 1990, right? Or we can go back to 416 like we had last year. Do I think that stop, question, and frisk impacts these numbers? Absolutely. Can we find a better way to do it? A more constitutional way to do it? Absolutely. But I don't think we, uh, the proverbial throw away the uh, uh, baby with the bathwater and get rid of it. We can't do that. Charles, the, uh, the judge, she's, she's asked for these reforms. Tell us about those. Well, she has taken uh, the liberty, and, and one of the things that she talked about in her opinion, where she dealt with the remedies that she suggested, was that she looked to have input from PD and from the city, and that the city was uncooperative in providing that and she she basically made it very clear that she would have liked to have more input from the city about how to go about those reforms but yet there was no cooperation and was no participation from the city in that process so what she essentially came up with were uh, a bunch of different measures to try to work around uh, reforming stop and frisk to conform to constitutional rights. Uh, one of them was a permanent injunction, obviously, against discrimination being a part of this policy being implemented. Um, also, she appointed an oversight, a person to oversee uh, the, the the transformation of stop and frisk. That person, Peter Zimroth, he's a former prosecutor, a former assistant in Manhattan, and now he's a partner in, uh, in a private firm in the city. Uh, she also suggested the revision of NYPD forms to include more specifics and, and you've already seen in Newark, New Jersey there's also uh, there's a new transparent stop and frisk policy where a lot of them a lot more of the data is being recorded so this decision has had an impact across the country already and it's not even two weeks old um, she the judge as part of her decision she also uh, is making it mandatory for body worn cameras for officers who are in precinct of 
uh, the highest numbers of stop and frisk. The cop is wearing a camera on his body. <clears throat> yeah, the, or and, her and, body. And, and that is what they're moving for. Uh, currently, the the police union is fighting it. PBA is fighting it. Um, and and finally, she's also. And this is, I think, one of the most important pieces of the remedies that's not being talked about. She has called for collaboration between community groups as well as the city and the police department to get together to sit down across the table from one another and try to engineer collective solutions toward uh, better community policing and communities of color. Now, uh, what about the uh, the body cameras? <clears throat> Excellent idea. I think uh, cameras are a way of protecting the police officer when he's accused of doing something uh, illegally. Um, the New York City and the police department has installed cameras throughout the entire city. And, it's, uh, you know, they talk about cameras as it relates to red light. So cameras are good. I know uh, uh, the PBA president has stated falsely uh, that this is an obstruction for the officer when conducting his duty. And he laid claims that we already have a, a lot of equipment on our belt, which is true. But the lightweight cameras the, is the size of a... Uh, of, of a beeper. Like a go cam. Right. Yeah. That's not going to obstruct the police officer. But what it is going to do is give everyone a clear indication of exactly what the officer is doing in regards to stop, question, and frisk. Most of the time, the only people who don't want cameras around is when they're doing something that's that's not uh, legal. I think the camera idea is an excellent idea. And, uh, you know, it'd be interested to see once the cameras are implemented, the number stops, the, uh, whether well, they the go down Well, the stops have already gone same. down this past year. Professor Cannon, what do you think about the, the ca- camera idea? I, I think it's borderline ridiculous. I go, first of all, as an experienced officer, I find that to be um, that some group of lawyers or bureaucrats are going to lo- watch, look at my stop and determine whether I had probable cause or, excuse me, reasonable suspicion or not. Is outrageous because I have skills that they don't have, and they're not going to be able to see everything on a camera that I saw on the street, for example. And for them to now be Monday morning quarterbacks and say, "Oh, we don't think you, that reached reasonable suspicion," and what it will uh, become is officers becoming scarecrows out there and doing absolutely nothing, standing out there just as omnipresence and not having interactions, interactive police work, which is ultimately what drops crime i I think that one thing that has to be clear i don't know that anyone today has said that stop and frisk or stop question and frisk is a bad policy i think we have to remember what we are talking about is a problematic implementation monitoring and supervision of what is intended to be a facially neutral policy and and the key to stop and frisk being effective, at least from a former prosecutor's point of view, is good police work. And I think that that's something that has sort of been, you know, said as a theme across the table. It's not a scorched earth, wide net sort of execution. And I think that's where the problem came because this was something which was used by officers who weren't coming in to look at the, car- the crime reports for the day and who were being indiscriminate about their application. One of the things that was most troubling to me about the decision, and I found this on, uh, it was roughly page. 87 or 88 state senator eric eric adams uh was was testifying about a conversation that he had during a meeting with uh former governor david patterson as well as commissioner ray kelly and during that meeting ray kelly said uh according to to uh, eric adams that yes black and latino men's were, were were targeted because there was a desire to instill fear in them that every time they leave the house they know that they could be stopped by the police Exactly. That's now, when, now, when you have that sort of statement being said to a former 
state governor, a, a former governor of New York, who is himself a black man in front of another state senator who is also a black man. And you have a police commissioner who is as comfortable saying that as if it is right. a fact like the sky is blue. That demonstrates an institutional indifference to the civil rights of New York City citizens. And, and that's a problem. I, I point something uh, erroneous about what the professor stated. Um, the camera will not... Um, define what the police officer does. What happens is that the camera has to go along with the officer explains. Even though well with cameras, and I work with cameras every right. day as a reporter for Fox 5, depending on what when you start filming, when you stop filming, what you edit out of there, what you take, what you don't take. I mean, right. that's... But it'd be on at all times. So my point is that the camera... Theoretically. Along, uh, the camera along with the officer's explanation you know, uh, what's yeah, happening now, hold on one second, right now, you? presently, the officers are just making up stories, and it's clear when you look at the paperwork, when you see what's going on. The camera, along with his testimony as to why he stopped the person, So you're pro-camera. Professor Cannon, you're opposed to camera. No, I, I think it's sort of outrageous, really, when you think about it, because say you're in an unmarked car or a radio car, and you see someone with a bulge on their side, and, and the way they're walking, it looks like they have a gun. Is the camera going to catch that? No, but... When, no, when, when, it won't. It won't. But, but I, I can cam- tell you right now, it but won't. What, but what the camera will do, and this is important, is when that case goes to trial, when that gun is recovered, exactly. and when that case goes to trial, and when that officer takes the stand, and he begins to testify about his interaction with that citizen... It'll be recorded. It'll be recorded. Yeah, and when that citizen gets... And when that citizen... When that citizen gets Okay, but I just, stand, I just wanted... I just want to not take a position on the cameras, but I just want to say reality check in terms of, like I said, somebody that works cameras every single day is the lighting is usually bad in these situations it's usually close quarters once it gets to, down to mm-hmm. the most critical moments right. and but it's see, very very was, difficult to see, get a clear the, picture that of, was, of what's that wasn't the professor's point the professor's point is that people are going to be Monday morning ca- quarterbacks which is not true the cameras well, what if they're going to be Monday morning quarterbacks on incomplete pieces of uh, information uh, no, but I'm saying if you have something on camera and the officer's testimony uh, contradicts what everyone is looking at, then that's problematic. Professor, if, let me give Professor Cannon a chance to respond right, real okay. quick and then we've got to take a break. Well, okay. f- first of all, in that same scenario I gave, you're in a normal call, you see someone that appears like they have a bulge and you, you make the stop. What if that stop escalates because, say, the person doesn't have a gun, right? Did you still have reasonable suspicion of these Monday morning quarterbacks, these bureaucrats, these lawyers, these judges that watch this video – and ju- now, in judgment of the officer, are they, how are they going to be? Are they going to be, wait, he stopped the guy. The guy had no gun. We didn't see anything as far as the camera. We're going to take a piece of that officer. That's what's going to happen. And okay. what it's going to do, it's going to paralyze street cops to doing nothing. That's All right, well, when do. we come back, we're going to talk about what it's like when it happens to you, when you're stopped, questioned, and frisked, and you haven't committed a crime. Because one of the other statistics that was very significant about this whole issue was the youth of the, the people that are being stopped, as young as 14. Most of them, I believe, were 14 to 21 or 14 to 24, and many in their early teens. So we're going to talk about that as well. You're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Check out uh, my work and the shows. You can log on and get previous shows from our free podcast on LisaEvers.com. And let me let you know, Hot 97's on the reggae tip. Your free tickets all weekend long. Live performances by, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable, Beanie Man, Mavado, Shaggy, all just a whole bunch of artists. Friday, August 30th at Hammerstein Ballroom. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster. We'll be back with your calls at 1-800-223-9797. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles P, the Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. 
That's right, baby. Lisa Evers, Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Follow me on Twitter at Lisa Evers. Hit us up on Twitter right now at Street underscore Soldiers. And maybe we'll read your tweet on the air. Also, check me out, LisaEvers.com. You can find it all there. Podcasts, Fox 5 shows. Do you know about the Q Pen? You got to check that out. That's on LisaEvers.com. And also Twitter and all the social media links are there as well. We are talking about stop, question, and frisk. This week, a federal judge said what the NYPD's been doing is unconstitutional. Constitutional. We're talking about what that really means, what that can mean for you, and taking your calls at 1-800-223-9797. Joining us in studio, Charles F. Coleman, Jr., <coughs> federal civil rights attorney, former prosecutor with the Brooklyn DA's office, and a legal analyst, Professor William Cannon. He's a professor of criminal justice at Monroe College. He was with the NYPD, former sergeant um, with Manhattan North Homicide. Also with us, Noel Leader, former NYPD sergeant, co-founder of 100 blacks and law enforcement who care and let's go to Juan right now from Brooklyn. Hey Juan, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, first of all, uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, just to give you a little history, I grew up in um, the area of Bushwick in the confines of the 83rd Precinct and um, you know, growing up in this neighborhood um, I've seen it numerous times you know, I've been pulled over um, we have street crime units just jump out on us and it's just um basically stop, frisk us, ask us questions, where we're going. And on occasion, even on one occasion, it happened twice. One right after the other. Were you ever arrested at any of those times? No, I was never arrested. We were just simply um, walking home. And basically, yeah, either we were walking home or just coming from a party or something, but we're just walking, you know. And um, just to put my point of view out there, I mean, you got to look at the effect that it has on, on the kids psychologically. When you're pulling over um, kids that are 15, 16, um, you know, yeah. what it, it harbors and it creates like a us against them. Yeah. And kind we, of environment. And, and you know what, Juan, thank you very much for the call. And I'm glad you brought that up because we had, when we during one of the shows that we did on this, we had a 15-year-old who had at one time wanted to be a police officer, was Latino, he had been stopped three times on his way home from school, and that they wore school uniforms too. So it wasn't as if he was, you know, dressing like a thug or, or a street, you know, street guy or anything like that. Um, I also I interviewed a guy in the south, a teen in the South Bronx, who was running out of his house in slippers to go down the block to get ketchup for his mother for dinner, and he was stopped and frisked. And it, he said it happened about half a dozen times because he was on, I guess, they were on a, in a pretty rough block. Mm-hmm. But, Professor, what do you think about those kind of stories? I mean, and what Juan is saying in terms of, you know, police-community relations. You know, police, we, we want the police to be there when we call them to be protected. But for these teens especially, it really changes their their outlook towards authority in general. Right. I, well, I think that, you know, a stop minus reasonable suspicion obviously isn't a good stop. And that's one of the whole uh, purposes of uh, this conversation. And if that's happening, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, you know, the Constitution says that reasonable suspicion and you, you need to define what that is. And is it different to each officer? It shouldn't be. It should be defined, you know, uh, in the criminal procedure law what it is. And that's what they should be following. Are you? Uh, oh, go ahead. And you bring up a good point. You know these illegal stops and see for police commissioner Kelly and Bloomberg. And by the way, the judge's decision, the decision of the city council is an indictment of, of the Bloomberg and Kelly administration. They they suggest that the city council, that the judge, that all these individuals in the Black and Latino communities, which may have crime issues, 
uh, don't want policing. That's false. We just don't want bad policing. We just don't want the disrespect um, because it harbors a lot of hatred. And when we do outside question and frisk seminars, we ask people, how many people hate police? 95%, 97% of people raise their hand because of these negative, unnecessary interactions that they have far too often with police well, it makes it it makes it difficult, I think, too, for the, the, the community and then also the officers, too, because some of them have said to me, uh, listen, yeah. I don't I don't like having to do this because it just makes it tough for us when right. we're we're really trying to be there for the community right. or for the for the teens I mean, especially yeah. for the the younger ones i think it's really rough in addition to the issue of community the innocent ones and police right. relations the other thing that has to be taken into account is the colossal the colossal waste of resources that ultimately in, is impacted on the criminal justice system by bad stops so you have an officer who makes a bad stop but they end up recovering a gun and now you have to wonder about what happens from here he could be a bad guy they recover a gun but the stop is bad so now they now the officer's partner has to make a choice about whether they're going to conform the story to make sure that the the the, the stop itself passes muster then after that the sergeant who has to sign off on the paperwork has to you know wonder okay i'm hearing this story it makes a little bit of sense but then at the same time some stuff sounds a little fishy but maybe i sign it maybe i don't then it comes to an ada it comes to a prosecutor the prosecutor has to decide you know okay this story is is, is maybe it's not making all the way sense but i'm not sure you know but i'm going to go with it because i work with police officers they're sworn to tell me what it is that you know they saw and that's what they're telling me so that's what i got to roll with then they put that officer on the stand and a jury hears their story and it sounds like a bunch of bs and then that's you know and and, in situations like that you know the way they play themselves out that i believe is why brooklyn has one of the lowest uh criminal prosecution rates when it comes to criminal possession of of a weapon because oftentimes officers are put on the stand and they use that regular police jargon that we all know uh at from our common everyday experiences Sounds fishy when you start hearing stuff like, "Oh, well, he was making." Professor Cannon, what about that? Bulge. Well, look, I think that you have uh, different levels of training. Uh, usually, the the better officers in a precinct are the anti crime officers that have been on the job a little a little bit. They have more experience in stop, question, and frisk. Whereas, if if again, if you drive it, if it's numbers driven, then it's it's not a, a good policy um, because. Obviously, we need reasonable suspicion to stop someone, and that's the law. If I could just read this, uh, someone, uh, an attorney online dissected the Judge uh, Shineland's ruling. He said, the evidence at trial revealed that the NYPD has an unwritten policy of targeting the right people for stops. In practice, the policy encourages the targeting of young black and Hispanic men based on their prevalence in local crime complaints. While a person's race may be important if it fits the description of a particular crime suspect... It is impermissible to subject all members of a racially defined group to heightened police enforcement because some members of that group are criminals. The Equal Protection Clause does not permit race-based suspicion. When I went over the five precincts that had the most stops, I think it was 237375, 79, and 103, those precincts are pretty much... 85 to 90% black and Hispanic precincts. There's lots of stops in those precincts, obviously. The 2-3 made the list, I think, six out of the seven years. The 2-3 is also a violent That's precinct. That's in Harlem. In uh, Spanish Harlem, East yes. Harlem, yeah. East Harlem, yes. Uh, the 2-3 is a violent precinct. I was in the squad there for five years from 1997 to 2002 before I went to homicide. Lots of shootings. Uh, lots of homicides. Um, 
lots of assaults, lots of, lots of domestic violence type things. So were the police stopping uh, people on the street, and they were stopping people of color, because basically that's who lives in East Harlem, and that's who lives in those And, and that's what you're saying precincts. about that point. Well, there's also there's an interesting post on uh, HuffPost by our colleague from BLS, Nitikan. She wrote a um, an article called "If Only Billionaires Were Stopped." So check that out on HuffPost, and let's check in with Twitter at at Street underscore Soldiers. Drew, what's going on? Um, we have a tweet here from Daniel P underscore thirty one who says that he's a black male. He lives in Brooklyn, and he's never been stopped on frisk. He believes that we do need more police in the hood um, to regulate the streets. All right, let's go to uh, David from the Bronx right now. David, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, I was stopped in Manhattan, 32nd Precinct, sitting at the Dunkin' Donuts in my, I guess, um, Escalade, brand new. Um, they come up to the car. I show them my ID. I'm a retired correction officer. That wasn't sufficient. They asked for my license and registration. Um, they checked. They came back, stepped out the vehicle, put me in handcuffs, dragged me to the precinct, Tossed my car, searched my phone, civilian complaint, upheld the complaint, and, of course, there's a pending lawsuit. You know, I mean, why did they stop me? Are you black or Latino? I'm African-American. I own a business in Harlem. One billion dollars over the last 10 years, according to John Yu, that the New York City Police Department had to pay in settlements and fines. Um, uh, the professor quoted statistics. Uh, it's one of the things the mayor does, and they tend to skew Criminal activity with the huge number of innocent, non-criminal individuals that are being stopped. As long as uh, New York City police officers are, are stopping, uh, uh, you know, have the reasonable suspicion or investigating criminal behavior, no one has a problem with that. I've done that. We encourage that. We're anti-crime. Right. But what's going on is innocent, non-criminal individuals in those communities like are being stopped Like the king going for ketchup for, his, uh, for his, his mother. Let's go to uh, David from Corona right now. David, how are you on Hot 97? Go right ahead. Hello? Yeah, David, you're on the air. Go right oh, ahead. Oh, yes. Um, I was coming out the beast, and I had nothing on but some tights on and uh, some sandals. So when I was driving two blocks, I get pulled over. Okay. Um, they tell me to come out the car. Me and my friends, we come out the car. They have me bend over the hood, and out of the four cops, three of them searched me. Two searched me inappropriately because all I had was tights on. So there's no need for you to try to swipe was behind me so so like it, it's like they were digging for something all right you said you had what on you just no tight pants and some tight like some, oh, tight, pants. Uh, okay. some tight shorts well okay you know you can't you just, you can definitely see my size everything down everything from my waist out anything that was covered was my was my uh was my private part and that's it and so, did you? Um, did they arrest? Did they arrest you or write your summons or anything? No, but the way I was searched, I mean, there was no point in them searching for me like that. I mean, and did you, know, you file I, a and I couldn't, and I couldn't go to the precinct because I felt so ashamed. Yeah, the officers most likely, I'm not saying, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what happened, but in far too many instances, officers just fishing. They're doing these unconstitutional stops because they look, and that's the concept, if you remember the old street crime concept, if you stop 100 people, one person will have a bag of weed, one person might have a a, a knife or a gun, So, but that's illegal. You cannot do that. You know, it, it it really reminds me of the saying that, you know, men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. 
And the numbers in this case are very clear. The overwhelming majority of stops do not produce any contraband, nor do they produce further law enforcement uh, activity. What and is that, like 80-something percent it, or 90 percent? It, 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 close it, to it's like 86 percent? It's, close it's closer to the 90th percentile than it is to the 80th. And what that suggests is that while there may be, in some instances, very good police work, which is taking place as part of these stops, that in most cases, that police are guessing wrong whether they're guessing wrong because they're, they're they're guessing too often or whether they're guessing wrong because they just maybe had an off day what the judge found was that regardless or of because what, they have to show a lot of activity right regardless of what, whether it's internal institutional pressure you know the, the, the officers are, I just just let me finish one point you know one thing that, that was said during during the as part of the opinion was the use of targeting the right people and that quote I thought was very powerful in terms of Who's targeted for stops? Because while the NYPD has made the argument that, well, more blacks and Latinos have have been stopped because they're the ones committing the crime, that in and of itself only ultimately supported the argument that there was racial profiling going Professor on. Professor Cannon, what about that? Well, we also must understand what generates a UF-250, right? That's the form for uh, stop right, and frisk. Stop, right. question and frisk. Stop, question and frisk. Stop, question and frisk. Right. Excuse me. Uh, if the, an officer stops someone on the street by the use of force, if they stop by themselves, if they stop someone and it leads to an arrest, those are the incidences that are supposed to lead to a, a UF-250. So if you stop someone on the street, like in the first way, and just a request for information, how intrusive was that? But yet that's going to generate a UF-250 uh, stop, question, and frisk report. Was that that intrusive? If you stop someone on the street just to request information, which is the first level of stop, question, and frisk. Uh, I don't think that's that intrusive. In fact, the police department encourages police and community interaction. In that way, it's not. there's no criminality, but they're still requiring you to fill out a UF-250. And also, the numbers can get skewed also. How many times when a stop does lead to an arrest uh, is the officer actually filling out that UF-250? So you're report? saying the number could be more? There could be more well, people they, stopped. They may not be, yeah, they may not be filling out the report in an arrest. Incident, so that means which is the numbers positive, are even higher. Oh, but that's a positive stop because, like you're saying, most of the time it's not leading, a stop is not leading to an arrest. But many times when a stop does lead to an arrest, they're not filling out but the But if US you have 80 report. to 90% of the stops not leading to any criminal activity, I think about 6% was the statistic mm-hmm. lead to actual convictions or arrests, actual arrests, excuse me. Is that an effective use of resources, and is that smart well, well, policing? The, the, the argument would be, as long as there's reasonable suspicion in those stops, these stops also They're are necessary. being used as a preventive measure. You know, but do, let me say one thing: if the if the officer does do a uh, conduct a stop and it leads to an arrest, he's he's mandated to fill out the report. Well, he's supposed to. I, I'm not sure that. Well, as a supervisor, right. you know, when you when you critique the officer as why he made the arrest, and if it was a result of the stop, when you analyze his paperwork, one of the things you're going to do for look for is a stop question. All right, let's report. try to get in some calls here. Troy from Harlem, uh, go right ahead. You're on Hot 97. Hello. Hey, Troy, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Lisa. Good morning, good morning gentlemen. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just listening to what you guys are saying about the stop and frisk. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm a prodigy of, of Spanish Harlem, so I'm part of that statistical um, outcome when it comes to, you know, officers stopping you and not really having a probable cause. So, like the um, professor said, that it's, just, it's supposed to be stop, question, and frisk, but normally what's being done is it's being more or less being stopped, frisked, and then questioned. So, um, again, I want to know, like, really, what is the statistical, when you take in the, um, the geographic area, 
where most of the stop and frisks are conducted. It's being conducted in, conducted in Harlem. It's being conducted in the Bronx, you know, in the urban areas. But if just take a geographical um, space from, say, 68th Street to 96th Street. What is the statistical stop and frisk for those areas? And this is why some people think and have an understanding that this is only being done for people and men of color. You know, because, you know, we understand that the majority of the jails may be filled with, you know, men of color, but does that necessarily constitute someone being frisked and stopped just because they looked like they could potentially have something or do something? All you right. know, I've been stopped and frisked myself for no apparent reason. You know, I, like, I'm on my way home one day, and I'm just pulling my car into the parking lot. I move my, I decided to go back to my car, pull my car from the left side of the street to the right side of the street, and I had, you know, undercover detectives run up on me, and they never asked me any questions. They was like, oh, where are you coming from? You got an ID? And, they, and at the same time of them doing this, they're going through my pockets. They ransacked my truck, you know, searching my truck for weapons. And, you know, I'm not against the stop and frisk when it comes to protecting the neighborhood, you know, because I've, I've lived in Harlem almost 40 years. So I don't want my kid, you know, walking to school and having to get, you know, a straight bullet because, you know, two young guys decide to, you know, shoot back and forth at each other. But, um, you know, it has to be done the right way. You can't violate people's rights. And, you know, again, I just want to know what is the statistics on that done in other areas besides Harlem, besides the Bronx, besides Brooklyn? You know, I, I don't see this as a common practice that's being conducted, you know, say on 75th Street in Park Avenue. Right, or in, in Midtown Manhattan. Okay, th thank you very much for that. What about that? Well, it's interesting that the judge, when she talked about uh, the stops, and, and there's been a lot of talk about officers ordering people to empty their pockets, and, and if they have marijuana, they're being arrested. You know, there's people smoking marijuana throughout the entire city in all communities. So the, the young man is right. Uh, you know, these stops, individuals aren't being stopped. Uh, and, and uh, you know, regardless of how intrusive some people <clears throat> may think it is or not, you know, anytime an officer asks somebody for their pedigree, that person feels intruded upon. Um, but, you know, this, this is not happening in Wall Street. This is not happening where people do smoke marijuana and other forms of illegal drugs. Especially during lunch hour. <laughs> you know, as part, of the, as part of her findings, the judge made very clear that she... Uh, ultimately did find the fact that New York Police Department conducted a greater number of stops and frisks in question, stop question and frisks in areas that had greater populations of blacks and Latino males. That was that was very But the clear. police commissioner will say that's because that's where the high the, these are areas, precincts where there's the highest crime. Well, if you've already labeled someone as uh, as being a participant in in in, in in criminal activity or you've already predetermined that criminal activity may be afoot, then it's naturally going to lead to a greater number of stops. And that's the fault in the logic. And the judge was, was very clear in pointing that out simply because you have made a determination that there are members of a particular community, which may com who may commit crimes that does not then allow you to essentially use race as a means of, of, of uh, making an objective basis for suspicion. Um, one thing that has to be said and, and real quickly, cause we're very, almost out of time. Very quickly quickly it is it is very much so appalling to have ray kelly and to have a billionaire mayor who in their lifetimes will never experience the dehumanizing and humiliating nature of a stop question and frisk for simply being trying to walk down the street look people in the face and say there's nothing wrong with this policy there's nothing wrong with the way that it was implemented and there's nothing wrong with how nypd has gone about executing it that's something that that they cannot that they will understand. never experience i gotta cut you off there charles professor can a final word real quick well i, I just like to say i think that uh, the position of the police department is that they're stopping the people uh that are committing the crimes uh does 
Uh, stop question and frisk need to be retooled. Could it be a training issue? Uh, all of those things are po- uh, possibility. And, and just touching on the person that called, are the precincts like the 19th precinct on the Upper East Side, are they getting the same amount of stop question and frisk? No, probably not. Because it's a different population. The 19th Precinct doesn't get shootings on the street. They don't get murders on the street for the most part. If the 19th Precinct has one or two shootings or one murder a year... Right. I got I to gotta okay. cut you off, but I understand what you're saying. Noel, real quick, final word? Right. Um, well, you, you got know, 30 seconds. You know, police officers aren't stopping murderers. Uh, you know, when you look at the huge number of stops that are being conducted, they're not doing shooters. They're not doing murderers. They're doing innocent individuals and these are uh this is why there's such a uh you know if if they were stopping murderers and shooters 95 percent of the times it wouldn't be any complaint but lisa uh you do an excellent job keep up the good work all right thank you very much i want to thank all of our guests for being with us charles f coleman jr professor william cannon noel leader thank you very much and to everybody on the phone i'm sorry we didn't get to your calls frenchie hope james mike curtis joe everyone else has been calling in and uh, didn't get to the tweets either. We'll try to do better. I, I promise. I need more time next time. <laughs> All right. This episode of Street Soldiers was brought to you by South Shore Hyundai. Check out the South Shore Hyundai in Valley Stream on August 31st at 11 a.m. for their hands-on contest. Don't forget Harlem Week, Harlem Day, Hot 97, all over at 135th and 5th. Uh, 135th between 5th and Lenox. Today going on right now. The performances begin at 4 o'clock at the stage. Tara Thomas. Bad girls. Um, Bridget <laughs> Kelly. Bridget Kelly is going to be amazing performances, so make sure you check that out. I want to thank my whole crew here at Hot 97, EP Tone Capone, our associate producer, Angelique Tyree, production supervisor, Andrew Veras, board op TJ, our intern, Kirstie Placencia. Please check me out on the Fox 5 News at 6 and 10 tonight, 5, 6, and 10 during the week. Twitter, Lisa Evers, all the rest of them, go to lisaevers.com. Have a great week, everybody. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace.